This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Good morning, everyone. Greeting you on behalf of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. From Indianapolis, Indiana, scene of the world's greatest race cars, this is Sid Collins saying welcome to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. in racing. A.J. Boyd at Indianapolis has won his fourth 500-mile race. There's the checkered flag for Jim Rathman, the winner of the 44th annual 500-mile race. Definitely May from the archives, from previous episodes of Trackside. I think our buddy John Day put that together. He sent me a new one that will debut next week, but that was uh, aired last year, but definitely worth airing again. Hello, welcome. Trackside 93.51075, the fan in Indianapolis. Race month continues, wrapping up our first week of nightly shows. We continue for the next three weeks leading up to the 106th indianapolis 500 right here on 93.5 1075 the fan 93 wibc and nbc and peacock nationally wthr channel 13 with the tape delay broadcast as well here in indy big racing weekend kirk kentucky derby coming up tomorrow uh we know there'll be a big audience for that i saw social media of jimmy johnson it looks like he's there that's a good thing that means there might be a promotional tie-in with the Indy 500. The host of the Indy 500, Mike Tirico, is there. Saw him on the Today Show this morning. So we have that to look forward to. Kind of makes it feel a little bit more like race month. Yeah, it really does. Every time the um, you know the Derby rolls around, it just has that feeling of, of the Indy 500 is next. And by the way, listening to that open, obviously I've heard it many times before, and the call... Uh, relative to the 2011 uh, race when Hildebrand hit the wall. I mean, I'm sure everybody was like this, but I remember in just listening to that clip, the despair, I suppose, that I had for that brief, you know, three or four seconds when I had no idea who's going to win the Indy 500. I mean, you don't, I mean, I knew Weldon was second. I know, I knew where Hildebrand was, but you don't know the relevant, spacing between the two cars you don't know if hildebrand can get there you don't know i mean it you talk about a great finish to the indy 500 in dramatic form probably even more dramatic even than than 06 from my perspective when you know it was hornish and and marco coming to the checkered flag but because of the drama of hildebrand uh and his his lame car but just uh i i just Listening to that really made me remember the emotions that I felt in those three or four to six seconds. I'm not sure if most of us knew who was second at that point because that was a super save fuel situation. Hildebrand, I think, was saving a little bit of fuel. Uh, Dan Weldon, no one understands how he was able to get the fuel mileage. I forget the number, but he did something like 39 or 40 or 41 laps. You know, the, the joke was they had a bigger fuel tank than everyone else, but he was not second. Dan was not second until 
probably somewhere in the last lap or the next to last lap. It seems like Dario was up there, but there were others that had all slipped back just because of timings of cautions. It ended up being a fuel save. And, you know, on TV, you have a lot more help uh, pointing things out. And I can't remember how they called it on the TV broadcast, but it actually worked out really well on the radio broadcast. It, it reminded you of, was it, it was 67, obviously, because AJ won and there was a crash on the main straightaway. And I think it's more the PA call and Tom Carnegie saying, where is he? Where is he? I remember that call, hearing that in the archives as AJ kind of weaved his way through the battered cars and the smoke in the same situation. Mike King asking, you know, who's going to win? Who is it? Where's the leader? And Paul Page picked it up very quickly. Paul's very astute. And in, in fairness to the chief announcer, because I've been in that secondary role a few times for races, th that's why I liked have that's why I liked providing that role. And if I was doing it again, I would like to have someone else doing that for me, someone not focused on play by play that can look at other things, has more time to look at timing and scoring, isn't worried about how you're gonna phrase the end of the race. Paul picked it up really quickly, and I also suspect it helped because Paul's son was one of the engineers on that car. So you know he's it's just like you're watching your car. So he's watching it go from fourth to third to second. So Paul's really good, but he also had a reason to pay attention to Dan's car, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I was hoping you would get to is that, uh, you know, and Paul Paul was doing it professionally. He he uh, has often told me about a story just because I love listening to his uh, his stories about preparation and 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 so forth. But he said I learned early on in in uh, covering this sport that you better know who was second for when when the right moment came, and you would need yeah. to know that. So he said I was you know just by practice I was ingrained in that. But to your point. He did. He he didn't have to worry about the play-by-play, -play, which was helpful. And two, his son was on the car, so so he gets a little bit of a yeah. I mean, I did know Weldon had passed for second because I had all the information in the media center and didn't have to didn't have to call anything. Yeah, I kind of knew what, where, yeah. yeah, I didn't have to. I knew where everybody kind of was first, second, and to a lesser extent third. But uh, but yeah, that the drama of of can he make it down the front straightaway? And in real time, it looks, you know, I mean, when you see it on TV, it looks like he doesn't have that far to go. When you're on the front straightaway, you realize just how far he had to travel uh, to make it all the way down the front straightaway. It was, uh, anyway, I hate it for Hildebrand. I think about it every time. You know, I even told him one time, I said, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know how you do it. I said, I would think that gets gets old, but you, you know, when people come up to you and they point out and he, and he, and he said, look, he said, uh, you know, that's great. I appreciate they do it. But and then he turned and said, man, I hate it. I wish people would stop talking about it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was a, a very tough moment. He handled it with such class. Uh, you know, really the JR that, that we know now, he was a rookie that particular year. So uh, we didn't really understand, you know, that that's who he is. But uh Anyway, such a cool moment. Uh, I, I I don't wish it upon anybody to crash coming out of turn four with the checkered flag in sight, but uh, it sure is good for the for the show. Yeah, I, I've said before that's actually a highlight. I don't choose to play. It's not one of my favorites for that reason because I feel for Jr. and also because later that year we lost Dan. So that that's just not one of my favorites. You could spin it the other way, and I'm sure other people rightfully look at it as it's a happy time it's when we had dan and that was the high point of his life and he's now a two-time winner and he that win you know we were i remember us debating i think that year with the 100th anniversary of the first 500 we were talking about the best 33 and lists out there and i don't remember how it ended up on if there was an agreed upon list but I remember us talking about that and campaigning that you got to really think about Dan because he had finished second, what the previous two years and how good he had been. He probably should have won the thing in 2006 as well to go along with the 2005 win. So that win in 11, you know, if we ever do that list again, Dan Weldon is going to be on that list. And I, I just recently was introducing some of Jackson's sponsors 
walking through the paddock and ran into JR. And I don't introduce him as the guy who crashed on the last lap. He finished second in the Indy 500. That's how I introduced him, you know, to yeah. people that really don't know. And he finished second in the Indy 500. So that's the way I would like for him to look at that. Um, but, but good memories in some ways and, and, you know, kind of difficult memories in others. Yeah. It's, um, on the Dan side, I, I, I remember it more as, as, uh, just a highlight, a shining moment, you know, sure. really it was the transformation of, of his life ultimately. And the photos with he and his wife and, and, and just, you know, they have, uh, a young one at that point and being a dad now. And it was such a good time for Dan. I, you know, 2011, I'd like to have back, uh, as a whole, uh, for the reasons, but I mean, you can imagine this didn't turn into a Dan Weldon tribute, but, uh, I always think it's good to spend a little time talking about Dan for those that didn't know him, but what a champion, uh, he was, and you can imagine what kind of a star he would be today. Had he maybe added another one or, or just even had carried the torch with his personality and his popularity. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring that forward to, 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 to today, you know, we're about, we're on the eve here of, of starting, you know, the month of May, as we know it at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And we say this a lot, someone's life is about to change uh, yep. for the better. Uh, and, and, you know, this time last year, it was celebrating Elio Castro-Devis' fourth Indy 500, which puts him in an exclusive club and really change. I, I think it even changes his life a fourth. Uh, he went from being, you know, obviously one of the greats as a three-time winner, but becomes, you know, racing immortality with four. And and that could happen. Five could happen. We could have uh, Montoya or Sato win a third. We could have somebody win their first. Uh, so, yeah, it does. Uh, it could be really good for – it's going to be really good for someone come May 29th. It's life-changing for all of them, even if you've already won it because you moved to a different level. If you have won it a second or a third or a fourth, and in this case, possibly a fifth time. By the way, I don't know if we've ever even mentioned this on the show. I know it's people on social media have seen it, but that special with the four-time winners is going to debut uh, before the GMR Grand Prix next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. on NBC. So the broadcast of the race is at 3, green flag is 3.30-ish. So you are, you've probably already seen it because I know you were interviewed for the piece. So the, the four-time winners were all brought together last summer, and we are going to see the fruits of that coming up next Saturday afternoon. So I don't say this lightly it's exceptionally well done it it is really well done i've seen uh i haven't seen the finished product but i've seen most of it in several forms and the teasers are out and it's so classy uh the music is perfect uh the the guys were in great shape they were interviewed you know for for multiple hours uh the amount of content that that now exists uh, not just of al senior and that's an important one given that that he passed away a few months after that, but you know, it, it'll really be one of the few times moving forward that we'll have AJ on tape. He's getting to the point where he's not a very good interview at this point in his life. Uh, Mears is classic. Mears is just unbelievable. And of course, Elio is as good as he ever is, but, but just the way it's tied together and watching them interact. Uh, yeah, I was interviewed for, and I think I I'm in the segment and, uh, I'm, that just makes me so proud because I have such great respect for all these guys uh, personally and professionally. So really cool stuff. By the way, tonight's Beyond the Bricks with Jake Query and Mike Thompson is about Al Unzer Sr. So the second four-time winner who had a couple of, of legitimate cracks uh, at becoming a five-time winner as well. So we'll look forward to hearing that tonight after eight o'clock and there is a podcast available of that. And Sam is the one who retweets that out. So look for that after we're done tonight. Um, all right. We've got a couple of IndyCar nuggets to get to, but I think, you know, if, we're, if it's a motorsports show, I know it's an IndyCar show. It's formula one right now. And, and your social media field feed, uh, feed is just overwhelmed with formula one news. The second practice from the new Miami circuit at the Dolphin Stadium, just finished up a little while ago. And I'll admit, I have some mixed feelings about this. 
And I don't know if it's jealousy or annoyance that's getting so much Formula One's getting so much attention. And I say that as a Formula One fan, I watch Formula One as much as I possibly can. I enjoy it. I think highly of it. I just like IndyCar more. And it's just part of me is, well, wait a minute. Why can't IndyCar get this kind of love? The races are better. They've been better for a long time. The personalities are more outgoing. If you really try to know them, uh, there's more to see. There's more that they're willing to give. But the other side of it is, well, this is what it is because – Formula One in America is the shiny new object, even though it's been around forever. So I'm left with, I think I will embrace it and understand that I don't think this is hurting IndyCar. I think it can help IndyCar. The positive is people are talking about motorsport. There's always a better chance of finding an IndyCar fan from watching a Formula One or a NASCAR race than there is from watching a football, baseball, or a basketball game. Well, I think I think it really helps the Indy 500, honestly, because you know there are so many, first of all, there's so many people who are big stars who are making it into social media, you know, at this Miami event, and then there's just a scad number of those that wanted to go but couldn't get there, couldn't get somebody to pay for it or pay their way or or pay them or whatever, couldn't get a credential. Uh, I know for a fact some big stars, Darren Jack talked about that the other night on our show Wednesday night, that that there, you know, he mentioned some people who couldn't get credentials. And maybe if offered the chance to come to the Indy 500, you know, honestly, a lot of the big celebrities, they don't really kind of know the difference. And, it, you know, it's a big race and a big event and people talk about you. And, and I think you're right. It, it's made racing look cool to some people that maybe don't otherwise pay attention. I'm not talking just about celebrities, but I think it's for, especially for the Indy 500, it has made, it's kind of, I think it's a subtle reminder that big events are still big events, no matter what the actual sport or the participants look like, you know, how they participate, uh, what the rules are, well, all those things are, are second to the fact it's a big event and I've got to be there and I wouldn't want to miss it. And I think that's where, uh, where I think IndyCar will benefit with this race in Miami. You can even see it from the, the Sky commentators from the UK, their reaction to how big of a feel that this has. And they do this every single weekend where the Formula One event is oftentimes the biggest event of the year in that particular country. And they're taking note of this so what i don't know because my first thought is oh, it feels like this is getting more attention than the indy 500 and that's not right but i don't know that that's accurate because i'm in the middle of it of the indy 500 this is my hometown this is where i've lived forever so i'm not the best gauge at all it needs to be someone in some other market to see what kind of national attention that the indy 500 is getting and plus my world is motorsport. So these are the people I follow on social media. So just because my timeline is filled with this, uh, that doesn't mean. And yes, Nicole Briscoe is doing a segment on Sports Center in the afternoon every hour, and they're getting a lot of love because that's what ESPN does. They take care of their partners as they should, just like NBC does with their partners and and every network. But it may not be making the dent that we think it is, and it may not be anywhere close to the impact that the Indy 500 still has. You know, also the one that caught my attention, you know, all the different medias that are, you know, weighing in on this. And I think you're right. Your timeline is mostly motorsports. So I think you're a little more inundated yeah. than maybe most people are. But but it comes to mind, Marty and McGee, our good friends, uh, you know, have been longtime friends of ours. and. Uh, and Marty Smith and and uh, <laughs> just drew Ryan McGee, Ryan McGee, and and you know they're they're immersed in in NASCAR country and and SEC and and the, you know the football world, college football, mm-hmm. and you know they're they're broadcasting in a Formula One light, and I wonder what that says to NASCAR fans. You know what I mean? And that that all those NASCAR fans in the South are, are watching and, and listening to Marty and uh, Marty and Ryan. And it'd be interesting to see how they're taking it. If, if, if you follow it, but uh, that's yeah. interesting. 
but it, it's also there. They don't have NASCAR, ESPN. They do have Formula yeah. One. And by the way, the Formula One rights are up. So ESPN is going to be bending over backwards sure. for now and the rest of the season because this has gone from – think about where this has gone from. I forget the year. 20 – they've had it maybe since 2018 or possibly 2019. I forget which year it began. But they ended up on ESPN – because the music stopped and they didn't have a chair. NBC, from uh, from what I've read, these are published reports, uh, they were not interested in any kind of a deal where Formula One was going to promote their streaming platform as competition for the NBC broadcast. So they couldn't come to an agreement. And uh, Sean Bratches, a former ESPN exec, asked ESPN, hey, could you air our races for free? And they did. And then they stumbled upon doing them commercial free because they got so much pushback with just going to break randomly. And that turned out to be a boon. And then Netflix takes off at the same time with Drive to Survive. And here you are. And the rights fee was reported three and a half million dollars. And I saw the head of Liberty today saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be big. He recently floated something that they're looking. I forget the number, something like 60 to 80 million in rights fees. It may not go that high. But it's it's going to be, you know, north of 20, 30, 40 million. The next question will be, can anybody pay that and still make the races commercial free? And how will that go over? Maybe, maybe not. But that's uh, that's one to kind of keep an eye on. And that's another reason. Well, the first reason is it's good business for ESPN to put this on ABC and make a big deal out of it because it is doing really well for them. And the second is they'd like to keep it because it, uh, sport live sport is valuable and especially live sport in a time slot without competition, which is what formula one is most of the time. The rating will be interesting this weekend uh, in the afternoon on Sunday at two 30 or whatever, you've got competition. I don't know that it's going to be higher than some of those nine 30, 10 30 AM races. I, I know the, uh, the other races they've had in the afternoon have not rated super high. Maybe it's a little bit higher because there's been such an American push, but it's not likely to be as massive a number. I don't know what the competition is going to be this Sunday afternoon. I haven't looked. You know, you're going to have an NBA playoff game. Uh, you're going to have NASCAR. I don't know what else is going on, but it may not be as big as, as we think it's going to be. We should probably speak on uh, where things stand as we watched Mario Andretti in the booth a little while ago, and he was asked often about this. Michael Andretti was asked and, and was quoted today in a, in a couple of reports where things stand for the Formula One project for Michael Andretti's group. Uh, let's see. The Liberty CEO, uh, Greg Mafai, is that how you pronounce his name? I think, but I may. I, I think so. I think, but I may be wrong. He again downplayed the cho the chances of F1 imminently adding an 11th team. This is from Adam Stern's Twitter, who is in Miami from Sports Business Journal. There's a potential that we may increase the teams over time. I don't think it's a pressing need. There's a lot of people who would like for us to do it. Luke Smith at Autosport writes, the process to join the grid requires the FIA to issue a formal call for interest for new registrations, which at this point has not been put out. A meeting including Andretti and the FIA head took place on Friday in Miami that Andretti said has been positive. I think he's in support, Michael said, but there's a big process that's got to go through and all of that stuff. He said he's in support in the process. There's still a long way to go, but it's nice he liked what we presented. I don't want to say too much. They don't want to talk about it too much, but positive things. Although Andretti thought he was, quote, not going to get an answer for a while about joining the grid, he revealed plans are already underway to establish an F1 facility in Indianapolis for which construction would begin hopefully in August. We're spending money to get the ball rolling because we feel like we're hopefully going to get it. We're taking a risk, but we think it's worth the risk because we got to get the ball rolling. So we're hiring people and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, several of the team principals were asked about this in Miami. Obviously, it has a U.S. slant to it. 
U.S. journalists asking the question. Of course, you know, two of the big shots uh, are always on the opposite sides of one another. Christian Horner from Red Bull. Oh, I'm very supportive of Michael Andretti. And if he can bring a U.S. driver, uh, suit Mario up and something to that effect. And yeah. and then there's Total Wolf, who has been against it, or it seems to be <laughs> against it. So Mercedes on one side, Red Bull on the other. Just the way everything else is. No wonder drives to survive work so well. And the joke was that Christian Horner was going to say whatever opposite Toto Wolf said. And Toto said that that any new team has to demonstrate what it can do for the other teams for F1 and FIA to help the series grow. Uh, Gunther Steiner, heads up Haas, said to Miami that 10 teams is a good solution at the moment. I think Michael had a good point. He said 10, te- 10 teams is not the right number. If you really think about it, they've got the Concord Agreement coming up in 25 now Red Bull owns two teams. They say they're pulling out. Now you've got 16 cars. I don't think he's saying Red Bull is going to pull out. I think just the word if was left out. And what that is, because Ferrari has always had a stranglehold. Formula One knows they have to have Ferrari. So Ferrari has used that for leverage many, many times over the years to get what they want. And I think Michael's right that any, especially a team that essentially has four cars, has significant leverage so it probably would be in their best interest to have a cushion uh the concord agreement probably says there need to be 18 would be my guess that's usually what it is for most racing series that uh, you need to supply 18 cars to have a race at a top level so that would be something in their favor here's another thing i wonder though kurt are, are some in the f1 world uh, right or wrong, or no matter how much it might be putting money in their pockets, are they slightly annoyed that America right now is such a focus? Well, the thing is they all need it. They all know that, that their sponsors need to be in America and they've got it. It's just a, just a host of reasons to do so financially. You know, you talk about the, the rights fees adding to the kitty uh, in the U S I mean, that's what's interesting about this. Here's an American team going to bring an American driver, maybe two. uh, And you've got, you know, you should be in support of anything where you've got three races in the U.S. And, you know, Vegas is going to be every bit as exciting as Miami. And Miami and and Vegas are going to rank, you know, in your top five of, of best shows of the season. It'll get done. I just can't imagine they they say no to Michael. I'm not certain. I I don't know that it's going to happen. Uh, I don't know that it's not going to happen, but I have concerns on that front, and this is an odd group, and who knows what their motivations are. Uh, You know, in some way, and you've heard this before, some in the IndyCar paddock have been annoyed over the last – 20 plus years of the quote NASCARization of IndyCar. And I suspect the Formula One crowd. So I read the Bernie Ecclestone quote last night after you had already left us. And, you know, I know Bernie is, you know, you can say a silly old man, he's off, but I, I guarantee others in the Formula One paddock think the same thing that he said when he said they're producing Formula One American style. It may be well that it's good because so many stupid things come out of America and everyone's happy, but it wasn't the way I ran things. And it's not the way I like it. I'm sure he would have also said as well. And I bet there are others that feel the same way. And it's, eh, we don't want anyone coming in and taking attention from us. Seems silly. Seems like, boy, if you could have Mario and Michael Andretti and someone coming in with a big checkbook, yes, I'll take some of that. But I can't guarantee that they will. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I agree with you. I just, when I said that, I, I uh, it just seems logical heads should prevail, but. But yes, I've been in that paddock many times. That is that is not a group that thinks uh, holistically. It thinks individually and on yeah. every subject. And so you're right. I, I can't I can't guarantee that either. In fact, I wouldn't even give it 50 50 odds because of of just the just the narrow mindedness that that many of those organizations uh, function from. But I, I just think if you go down through the teams I can come up with three or four that I would expect to support Andretti. And then, you know, if you're only trying to get to six of the 10, you know, it's not that difficult to come up with. 
We did get a little bit of IndyCar information out of the Formula One paddock today. Jennifer Iyer of the Associated Press talked with Ramon Grosjean and posted a story there and uh, says he used a line from the movie Days of Thunder to shrug off criticism from Graham Ray Hall following late contact between the two in last week's IndyCar race. Racing is rubbing or rubbing is racing, Grosjean told the Associated Press. I don't know. I was on for some good points and I wanted more. Um... And then it retells the, the quotes that Graham gave me on NBC. Uh, so that's kind of the end of that. And that's that's good because that's what we knew Grosjean's response was going to be. He's a big boy. He's not going to back down. Graham's not going to back down. Good for all of us. Yeah, no, no, it's it's good. And I would expect that from Ramon. And, and I think that would be my response as well. Honestly, I'm surprised he didn't. No, I don't know that I'm surprised. It would have been. Uh, understandable if he also took a shot at Graham on the way by, uh, not just about standing up for himself, but also saying, you know, look, he, you know, he can't, he has, he's a man of strong opinions and that doesn't mean he's right all the time. That, that, that's kind of what I expected him to say. Uh, but I, I do appreciate his professionalism and, and saying, look, I, I went for it and contact isn't all bad. And, and um, there you go. I think he's enjoying the fact that these cars aren't brittle like Formula One yeah. cars are, <laughs> that you actually can rub and race. And, yeah, sometimes it goes wrong. But the fact that you can hit side by side like that and they continue and you don't lose any positions. You know, I've said this before, too. I, I think it's changed a little bit this year. I, it seems like this year's new cup car is a little more sturdy. But the last few years – the IndyCar, the Dallara IndyCar seemed to be the sturdiest IndyCar that could deal with the most traffic. It didn't take much for cup cars, for Xfinity cars to uh, have just a brush with the wall or a brush with another car. And the car is so bad, you just can't continue anymore. Or certainly you can't yeah. compete. Yeah, so good I think, for IndyCar. I think, right. I think this has been a sturdy IndyCar. So good for the storyline to continue. I think we'll uh, we'll enjoy it. All right, uh, silly season is sillier earlier than it ever has been. Uh, story today from Racer.com is something that I know we mentioned earlier this week and has been talked about a little bit, but it's in writing now with, with some comments and reaction and quotes from Racer about Renus VK and his contract, which uh, expires, we believe, at the end of this season. And Ed Carpenter said he's approaching the matter with urgency. This is all happening, Ed says way earlier than usual, and I prefer that we at least waited until we were done with Indy, but you can't control those things. I don't think it's anything Renus is doing to make it happen now. It's just the way it has worked out. I don't really have much of an update on the situation, but our intent is obvious in wanting to keep Renus. As far as what the timeline is, I would like to get something done as soon as possible, obviously, but I don't know how it'll play out. I'm sure we'll know one way or the other before the year is over. I don't expect that we'll have it done in May or June with definitiveness, uh, and Ed also said he would consider expanding to a full-time three-car operation next year. He's obviously doing a partial schedule, and it's actually going to go beyond that because, really, Simona Di Silvestro and Peretta Autosport is running uh, his car in three more races, possibly four later on the season. It'll be numbered differently, but it's the same entry and personnel to some extent. Uh, but but Ed did say that, hey, the first priority is we want to re-sign Renus and then we'll work on a third car. So, Kurt, let's talk about the uh, possibilities. And, you know, the number one we mentioned the other day is, unfortunately, F Felix. And, and the reason this is heating up is because we think Alexander Rossi is already set to go to Errol McLaren SP. We think Kyle Kirkwood is already set to go to Andretti. So it is moving fast um, but the Felix Rosenquist seat is hot, and that is a position that is hired. So that would be the one that, that seems the most likely. Jenna Fryer, by the way, did talk to Zach Brown today and said he has not yet met Renus VK. Doesn't mean that he hasn't talked to Renus's manager or in some other fashion, but uh, there's going to be something, I would think, considered on that front, depending on how it goes with Rosenquist moving forward. Well, I appreciate everything that Ed Carpenter had to say, and, and that's an idealistic situation for him to get through May and, and even probably June. But the reality is this is moving faster than that, and he, he said as much. But yep. 
you know, I expect this to be tidied up before the Indy 500 where Remus is going and uh, whether that's on Ed's timeline or not. And, you know, good for Remus to continue to have options. And in June last year, there was conversation that Renus may not be back and teams were sniffing around about him. And then he didn't have a result the entire rest of the season, averaged about 20th place. And that kind of ended that conversation. It's gotten off to a good start this year. So we will see how that goes. If there were other possibilities, you know, I suppose Meyer Shank racing, if uh, Elio Castroneves doesn't return, as we said, we'd both be surprised if they don't want him. I mean, maybe he could look elsewhere, but there aren't that many seats available. So I would expect that would continue. Could Team Penske decide we need this young man and we're going to expand to four for a year and then see where things shake out? If Jimmy Johnson decides he's not coming back full time, I suppose there could be an opening there as well. So, yeah, he got early, late in silly season. Um, okay, we got news of the day still coming up. And our news of the day yesterday, or one of the items was Stefan Wilson is now entered in the Indianapolis 500. And he joins us coming up in just a moment. Trackside 93.5-1075, the fan. Hi, this is Dalton Kellett, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Trackside continues, 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis in the month of May. The field of 33 is not set, but the entry list of 33 is set, and number 33 confirmed yesterday. Combination with Cusick Motorsports, Dragon Speed, and also A.J. Foyt Racing brings Stefan Wilson back to the Indianapolis 500, and he joins us now. Uh, Don made a kind of a comment on the conference call like, Ed, in the end, it all came together really quickly. But in reality, it's been about an 11-month process. What's this been like, Stefan, with the ups and downs of this? Yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, honestly. You know, there's been so many ups and downs and twists in the road. Uh, Lots of twists, to be honest. Um, But, you know, in the end, um, I'm really happy with the way it has come together. And... Um, you know, I think that it, it creates an opportunity here for this to to go beyond May and to avoid having those same roller coaster ride, you know, post May uh, to get back here in twelve months time. So, um, you know, I really, uh, I, I, you know, the relationship between Don Cusick and Elton Julian it, it is blossoming, and uh, I, I really think that there is a, a budding. Uh, you know, young team there here that can that can grow, and I'm excited to be part of that. That's what I said last night on the show. I'd like this option. Yes, I know everyone would like to be with Andretti or Ganassi or one of the established teams, and that's great. And from for the right now, that that probably is better. In all honesty, but there's no guarantee that there's going to be a spot as you and others have seen moving forward next year. Now you all can grow together. Exactly. You know, and I think what was really important was the way that Elton, you know, wanted to go back to IndyCar racing. You know, I think even he admits it himself. The first time he came into it, he wanted to do it all himself. He wanted it to be his own entity and and, and didn't want to entertain any idea of partnering with some of these existing, existing teams. But I think, um, you know, the first time talking to him, he recognized the value of being able to try and partner with an existing team. And that was kind of really important to us because that is the model that we as a group at QC Motorsports think is, is the right way to do it. Um, you know, uh, Maya Shank racing has, has shown us that, you know, mm-hmm. so that was the first step. And the fact that he acknowledged some of, you know, what he'd done in the past and how he would do things differently. And it kind of all, it all jived. And I think it all, it it seemed like we're all um, in alignment with a lot of the ways that we wanted to kind of grow this and, and, you know, turn this from two entities into, into one. And I, and I think that the hospitality that Elton has shown Don and, and likewise Don to Elton, we're showing that we can, we can be good partners to each other and we can collaborate and we can make this a really good, uh, a really good program. Stefan Wilson is joining us. Uh, th- this has been in the works since last summer. 
and such a unique situation that we got to by the fall, really all summer and certainly in the fall and the winter, where even if you had budget, you couldn't necessarily find a seat. How did you work through explaining to the partners? I think Don is close enough that that he probably understands it, but he's got investors, he's got partners. How frustrating was that to, hey, I finally got a budget prepared and we can't find a spot. Yeah, it's it's a really unusual situation because, as you know, uh, we, we, you know, dealing with your son's racing, it, it, it's so much about racing is finding sponsors, finding backers to make this all happen. And you know, it's a weird sort of situation to get that element, get that part solidified before the other uh, other parts, and then. Usually that kind of just takes care of the other parts, but in this mm-hmm. kind of scenario, in this kind of uh, world that we're in right now, where IndyCar is super, super, um, you know, popular, there's there's 27, 28 full time entries. There's a lot of interest around the sport, um, and I think I was hit on this yesterday in the conference call. There, there's all these other race series that also have swelling grid sizes, and what that means is they're they're a lot of resources are just not available. The most important resource is skilled crew people, you know, can't emphasize that enough. That was a huge uh, stumbling block is just getting personnel. And you know, when you've got all these swelling grid sizes in other series, including the road to Indy, which has got huge grids right now. Um, and the, the fact that there's 27, 28 full-time entries already, a lot of the, the guys that you'd, you'd want to pick up right, for the month of May, they're just already, uh, employed full-time somewhere else so um that made it difficult to to you know kind of put that together and i think at the same time you know we i was a little frustrated back in september we were trying to you know recommit to uh recommit with andretti and and andretti was ready to recommit with us and we just couldn't get an engine you know yeah. so um that was kind of the first first uh stumbling block and at that point then we were really forced to kind of reevaluate and see how we went about doing this. And, you know, I, many times, uh, you know, you hit on it, it. It's one of those things where we had to inform our partners. We had to uh, let some partners um, back, back down from the program um, because we were not in a position to, to kind of deliver for them. Um, I'm really fortunate that several partners chose to stay involved and just say, Hey, we're ready when you, if you do get this, we're ready. And, um, you know, Sierra Pacific, Lola Sport, Nolly Jerky can't thank them enough for just being patient with us and, and staying by, sticking by our side, uh, as we kind of work to find a solution here and really thankful to Elton Julian for stepping up and being like, I have the crew. And that's when it really all started to take shape. And I remember talking to you at the Rolex at Daytona in January, and I don't think there was any optimism at all. You were pretty honest. And I'm wondering how long that period was that you had kind of uh, decided and concluded, it's just not going to happen this year. It's not going to work out. And then when did it start kind of perking up again that, Hey, there's a chance here. We can make something happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of always want to be realistic. I'm always very honest. Um, And I'll, I'll tell you that, yeah, I don't, there's any chance and even though there's no chance, I'm still going to keep working on it. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's like Einstein's definition of insanity. You just keep doing the same thing. <laughs> but uh, definitely at times I did think, what am I doing here? This is no, there's no way I can still do this with, you know, only five, six weeks before the start of, or uh, well, less than that. I was thinking it was probably like, this all came together last week. What, what is that? Like two weeks away from the start of practice. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way that we can, yeah, after eight months or nine months trying, there's no way in two weeks we can achieve that. And we're, I'm just really fortunate. It just, you, you know, it all kind of clicked into place. Um, you know, the, the willingness from AJ Fort racing to, to work with us and, and provide the car from dragon speed and Elton Julian providing the crew, all those pieces of the puzzle just came together. And, and there's been so many other teams as well that have helped out pitched in and, and provided certain equipment that we needed. Speaking of sports car racing, you're the endurance driver for the Hardpoint team that Catherine Legg is on with Rob Ferriel, and you were really quick at Daytona. 
I think there were already issues with the car before you even got in at, at Sebring. I don't know that you got a chance to really show what you can do, but it's totally different style of racing, different type of car. It's a GTD car, but will that help you in a one-off effort at Indianapolis this year in the 500? I mean, certainly um, it, I'm more race uh, race fit than I've ever been uh, coming into the month of May, uh, having done free races already, uh, you know, doing the the roll before the 24, the Rolex 24, and, and then Sebring, as you mentioned. Um, so definitely more race fit than I've ever been coming into the month of May. And at the same time, it's good to just have that uh, a lot of driving, uh, driving and racing already under my belt before I even arrive. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I think it is going to definitely help me just, uh, jump in and, and get back right to it straight away. So let's get to the logistics of the 500 deal with dragon speed. Uh, it's, it's totally dragon speed personnel. Is there any technical relationship with Foyt or is it all Elton's people doing this? A lot of it is Elton's people, and uh, there is a, a couple of um, people from AJ Foyt Racing on, from the engineering side. That way, it all kind of meshes together with the technical alliance there. And, uh, you know, we will be essentially working as if we were a fourth Foyt entry, kind of working alongside Good. the current stable of drivers, which is really important, you know, to have teammates that you can talk to and rely on. Um, I'm good friends with JR, so really excited to work with him. He's He's got such a plethora of knowledge at, uh, at the Speedway, and, you know, uh, he knows he knows what it should feel like, so that's that's encouraging. Oh, that's good. I, I wasn't certain what the relationship was, so we know JR is good there. I think Kyle Kirkwood is going to be good there, and Dalton Kellett's really solid and really smart on the ovals as well, so all three of them can provide some help. I think I heard Will Phillips is going to engineer. He's been with the Foyt program, so he knows their program. That's uh, so, correct, yeah. so that that's good. And crew guys finishing up mid Ohio from the sports car race that same weekend. So I'm sure the Foyt people will start to uh, transition the car. For, so you're ready for practice and everyone's a big Tatiana Calderon fan that weekend, right? Bring the <laughs> car home safe sound. So we're on the track. Uh, is there any concern about, are you kind of expecting, Hey, there's a chance we may not be ready Tuesday morning. I, I don't know yet. That is a really good question. Um, I think a lot just depends on circumstances. You know, as you mentioned, Tatiana will be driving the car on Saturday in the GP. Um, and then it has to transition over from the road course spec to, to oval spec. You know, different engines got to go in, a different gearbox has got to go in. Um, all the uprights are changing. It's like, there's a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. um, I have full faith in the the Foyt crew and, and then also the Dragon Speed crew that are coming straight from mid-Ohio and we'll get stuck right into it. So at least they'll be fresh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, yeah, for sure. There's it's there's a lot, lot of work to do between the end of the GP and the cars being on track on, uh, on Tuesday morning. And, of course, I've got to do the refresher as well. Um, you know, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get to it. And if there's setbacks in the road, then, and we don't get on track on Tuesday morning, we, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is not to rush it and, mm -hmm. and, and do something bad, you know, because usually when that happens, the speedway is not good. So um, if it means we have to push back a day and, and uh, create a refresher session on, on Wednesday, then, then that's what we do. So I think we're all kind of, um, in alignment here that we were, you know, we're going to face some challenges and we're going to have to deal with them. And we just, we're band, we band together and we get our chin up and just, you know, deal with those challenges and hurdles as, as they come at us. We are all super happy for you and everyone in the program. Our buddy, Anders Crone, who I know had a lot to do with this as well, working with uh, Cusick Motorsports and you, so congrats to Lola Sport and all the other partners, Sierra Pacific Windows, Gnarly Premium Cut Jerky, and obviously to you as well, Steph. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in May in just a few weeks. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I think uh, from everyone I've spoken to, this is going to be one of the biggest Indy 500s in history. The, yep. the crowd is rivaling the 100th running already. Um, just trying to get sweet tickets for my partners is almost impossible. 
Um, yeah. Um, if you find any extras, I can use some too. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. They're, they're not available, but my, I have, no. I, I have people willing to buy. Nope. Sorry. We yep. don't have any. <laughs> there, there's definitely a premium on them. And, uh, that, that just shows you that, you know, it, it's going to be exciting to see indie at full capacity after the last two years. And I think the crowd is just going to be incredible to see. So I'm really excited to, to see all the fans at the Speedway all month and uh, can't wait to uh, sign some, some memorabilia and, and, uh, and take some pictures with people. So It's not weeks. It's a week and a half before Indy 500 practice. A week from today, uh, GMR GP practice. And then Tuesday, the 17th, I think it is, is when we get that started is. for the Indy 500. Steph, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Stefan Wilson back in the Indy 500 in the number 25 car again this year. Stay with us. We'll see what we missed and more coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Ed Carpenter, and you're listening to Trackside. Time for the Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway news of the day. If you need more racing this month here in Indy, well, look no further than the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech and Circle City Raceway. Saturday night, the Speedrome again features family-friendly fun, great racing action, food, free parking, and more topped off by the Speedrome's world-famous figure eight and the return of big wheel races for kids five and under, affordable family entertainment with adult, adult tickets costing just $10, kids eight and under free. Information available at speedrome.com. Formula One is dominating the news again today. So we'll make our news of the day that Liberty Media, the uh, owners of Formula One, are purchasing 39 acres in Las Vegas for the pit and paddock complex to be built for next year for $240 million. <laughs> That's the news of the day. Now at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds, sprint cars dominate the month of May. And on Sunday the 15th, the Jonathan Bird's 410 sprint cars headline a full night of action, along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley Unlimited Snow Company UMP Modifieds making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th with Indy Midget Week on June 8th. Find out more at CircleCityRaceway.com. That's the Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway. Speaking of USAC, don't forget the Prime 47 Burger Bash at the USAC building on Monday the 23rd. Uh, VIP tickets are available. Go to my Twitter. I tweeted out a link within the last couple of days. It's through a blog to Jackson's website. I don't have a blog. It's jacksonleeracing.com. It's free, though. You don't need to pay, but if you want to... Have free Prime 47, uh, get your drink on a little bit. We're also going to have some uh, free, uh, not free beverages, but beverages for sale with proceeds going to the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center as well with Indy Brew Bus. Lots of cool things going on. Uh, we we do have uh, some shaved ice opportunities for the kids that are going to be available as well. Kona Ice, shaved ice with flavors. So that's going to be available. And the adults are welcome to take part in that as well i saw this tweet yesterday uh you know pictures of of the uh fake marina which it looks good overhead and then i did did indy 44 matt arcoletta put this in there what is it pit pit lane jesus how is it referred to with the jr hildebrand look and and jr saw it and commented positively on it as well so that was one a funny picture we saw on social media over the last couple of days i took a screen grab of it how is he referred to yeah pit lane jesus (laughs) looking good in the robe there as well uh what else today i saw several other oh the truck race is coming up in a few minutes i think it's not going to rain it's a little bit iffy uh rooting for our guy parker kligerman my my co-pit reporter on IMSA broadcast, he's starting ninth in this race tonight and uh, looking forward to watching more Formula One, the Kentucky Derby. And we'll see if I make it to the mini marathon tomorrow. I am now, I've upgraded to questionable to probable. We'll see how it holds. Jake and Mike are up next on 107.5, 93 The Fan.